Hello, I'm Courtney Garrett, and this is the 101 Christianity Podcast. These messages accompany Discovering the Character of God, a 14-week Bible study I wrote on the attributes of God, which is available on Amazon. I pray this message will encourage you as you grow in your understanding of God's character. So I I laughed recently when I heard a guy say that the first time that he heard about God being immutable, he thought that meant that like God doesn't have a mute button, you know, like you can't, can't shut up God. There's no mute, can't mute him. Um, There is something there though, isn't there, right? You can't shut up God. He's going to. He's going to say what he's going to say, um, but if you're if you're not familiar with the word immutable, I mean we don't say that all the time. So you all learned this week that God's immutability is the fact that he he does not change. So when is the last time you changed your mind or your thoughts about something? It could have been this morning. You decided to change your clothes. Um, we like to do that sometimes, don't we? Um, maybe last night you decided you wanted. Chinese, and then you made a change and said, no, I want Italian. Um, Maybe it's a more thoughtful thing that you have changed your thoughts about a political issue, or you've decided that you can't stand behind something that you've thought for a long time. That happens to us sometimes. Or we want to take back words that we have spoken about something and thought, I've kind of changed my perspective about that. We change because of many, many things. Uh, We sometimes become more informed about something and we change. People that become gluten-free decide that that is something that's harmful to them, so they change their diet. Uh, We mature and realize something is better for us, Um, like we need more sleep than what we used to, and we think, you know, I'm going to go to bed earlier because I've changed. I'm I'm, I'm not like my child who has endless amount of energy. we experiencing, experience something new, and that changes our perspective or the way that we see things. Sometimes we just change on a whim. I don't know. We just, for no good reason, we just change our minds about something. My personal favorite, though, is we changed because we realized we were wrong. That's never, it's kind of a painful thing sometimes when we realize we're wrong, but we, we say, okay, that's, I cha- I've changed my thinking about that because now I realize I was in the wrong. We also change for the worse because we change because of sin. Sinful habits can develop, and so that is a negative way that we can change. We are just fickle people, right? We are. Um, And I didn't even mention the emotional ups and downs that we can have sometimes hourly. Um, All of these reasons, all of these things that I've just described, reveal human limitations and flaws and inconsistencies. We are just, we are human and we have limitations. But have you ever thought that God never needs more information about anything? He never needs to mature on an issue. He doesn't need to experience something new to change his perspective. He never needs to realize he was wrong. He's not fickle or moody or needy. He has no limits. God will not, has not, and cannot change because he's perfect, right? He is perfectly righteous. He never changes, and he can't change for the better or for the worse. He is a rock. He is steady, and he doesn't move. 
So the symbol this week, and I haven't haven't shed much light lately on the symbols, but each week at the at the at your chapter cover page, there's a symbol, and there's this there's a small symbol throughout your chapter, and those symbols are there to try to help you visually represent this attribute or this idea, so that you can kind of get it a little bit more ingrained in your mind. And you might use those symbols sometimes when you're reading through your Bible and you come across something about God's attribute, and you realize. Here is God. He's he's omniscient, and later on when we talk about omniscient, it's an eye. It's a, it's an eye because he sees and knows everything. But this week it was a mountain, and a mountain is immovable, like a rock, and so that's why God's referred to as a rock in Scripture. Um, and so I want to just highlight the fact that those symbols are there for um, a good purpose, and I want to just make sure that you don't miss those because also if your kids are in children's ministry, they are learning these symbols too, and so you can talk about them. When you see a, a big rock, that reminds me that God doesn't move. He doesn't change. So I thought that this week what I would seek to do is just try to ask and answer questions that come to our mind when, it, when, we, when we learn about God being immutable, um, because there are several questions that come, out, come up. The biggest obstacle that I see with this attribute is does God change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? I think if you have read your Bible at all, this is a question that we all come to at some point. We, we tend to think of God in certain ways in the Old Testament, and then we think of him differently in the New Testament. So does he change? God reveals aspects of his nature in different ways at different times for his purposes. He does reveal himself differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. He does. But does that mean he changes? And the answer is no. He does not change. So the important thing to remember about our Bibles, and I read this again this week, and I thought about it, and I thought I, we tend to forget that the Bible is God's progressive revelation of himself to us through historical events and through his relationships with people. I'm going to repeat that. That the Bible is God's progressive revelation of himself to us through historical events and through his relationships with people. So it's a progressive narrative that we need to remember. Because if you take a slice of God in numbers, you don't have the whole picture, do you? You need the, you need the, the, the books before and you need the books after. And so we've got to see this whole big narrative as a progression. It's one unified book. We see how a loving, merciful, and just God deals with sinful men of all, of all kinds and in all kinds of situations. I couldn't say it better than my handy-dandy gotquestions.org. Have y'all been looking it up? Y'all need to because it's real helpful. Aren't y'all finding it helpful, anybody? Um, they're, they just are able to say things really concisely um, on that website. But this is what they say. I thought this was great. Throughout the Bible, we see God lovingly and mercifully calling people into a special relationship with himself. Not because they deserve it, but because he is gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Yet, we also see a holy, righteous God who is the judge of those who disobey his word and refuse to worship him turning instead to worship gods of their own creation. So do you see the tension is it's the both and an and. Because he exists in perfection, he can be holy and righteous and even wrathful at time and also be merciful and loving and good. 
we have tension there because we kind of think it's an either or an or at certain, certain times. He is no, he, he cannot be any less good in the Old Testament. He's good, and he's good in the New Testament. Sometimes you see portrayals of Jesus in our culture as this kind of hippie dude, you know, peace and love and all that, and we forget that he turned the tables over in the temple and that he called out the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers, serpents. He called them fools, blind fools, hypocrites. And so we have to see that it's a both and it's an and, but he exists in goodness all around. So what do we see about God's character consistently in both the Old Testament and the New Testament? And that's what I kind of want to talk about first. Um, as I'm, I'm going to say a few things, but turn to Genesis 3 as I'm, as I'm talking. Um, I want to just say, that as, just kind of a sidebar, that teaching this type of study brings up a lot of different challenges. And one of the challenges I've really been thinking about is the fact that we are, you know, I'm all over the place with scriptures. And lately I have not been having you turn there because I have felt like it's going to be disjointed. But I feel like I've been doing you a disservice. Because one of the goals that I have for this study is not only for you to, to know more of who God is and his character, but it's so that you know your Bibles better. And if I'm just reading these, these to you, which I have been doing, I, I think I'm doing a disservice to you. So let us open our Bibles. And we are going to look at Scripture today. We're going to look at passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, um, and we're back in Genesis 3. We can't get away from the fall, right? Every week is about the fall. But this is important. And so let's read verses in Genesis 3, um, verses 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave with me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The first thing that I want us to see um, that, about that we see consistently in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that God does not change in his pursuit of sinners. God does not change in his pursuit of sinners. So you see even here what happens in the garden. They sin, and they hide. And God is the one who goes after them. They don't call out and say, hey, God, it's us. We messed up. He pursues them. And then he asks them questions. You know, he says, where are you? Do you think that God did not know where they were? Yeah, no. Anytime God's asking a question, it's not that he does not know the answer, right? He wants them to come to him and, and talk to him because he's a relational God. And so here he is pursuing them. And so he goes on, and then he asks questions of Eve, too, right? Why have you done this thing? God pursues us in our sin. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And then they, he goes so far as to provide for them, which we have talked about multiple times um, in our study. In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God pursues them in their sin. Now turn with me to the New Testament, to John chapter 4. 
John 4. And you know, it's in the Old Testament, God also, we need to remember that he raises up kings and judges and, and, and prophets and all, all that they are, they, they continue to, to try to point the people back to God. And so God pursues people through the use of these prophets and, and priests and these, these men and, and women, the judges, uh, some of them are women calling them back to himself. And so he pursues by using people all throughout the Old Testament. So in John 4, verses uh, 7 through 15, a very familiar passage with the, the Samaritan woman. So read with me in verse 7, chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a hint to him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here we see Jesus pursuing this woman, a sinner, who but Jesus would meet somebody in the middle of the day. Nobody goes to draw water in the middle of the day unless you're this woman who didn't want to see anybody. It's a Samaritan woman, and she is a woman. Jesus pursues her in her sin. So we see the God of the Old Testament just like Jesus here, the God of the New Testament that we see in this portrayal, pursuing sinners. He always pursues us. And, you know, he also pursues the Pharisees in their questions. They, he pursues the disciples when they mess up. And he always pursued the ones, pursues the ones on the fringes, the sick, the lame, always pointing to his provision. So that's their first point, that he always pursues sinners. Now we're going to turn back to Nehemiah 9. Now go back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is after the, the Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Nehemiah. You'll, you may remember Nehemiah and Ezra are together because Ezra was going back to rebuild the temple and Nehemiah was charged with rebuilding the wall after it was destroyed. If you'll turn to Nehemiah 9. And here we see Nehemiah recalling God's faithfulness. And so the second point is that God does not change in his love for us. He always pursues sinners. He doesn't change in that. And, and he does not change in his love for us. So let's look at Nehemiah 9, verse 16. I'm going to start there. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. 
The pillar of cloud to lead them in the, in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Do you see how gracious and good God was to this disobedient, stiff-necked people who were not grateful? We see that his, his love pursued them 40 years of grumbling and complaining, and he, yet he was always, always faithful. Now turn with me over to Luke. Are y'all having fun yet? We're going back and forth, back and forth. Luke 23. We see no greater love, obviously, in the New Testament than the son laying down his life for us. But I was struck this week as I was looking at this about what he, not only what his death on the cross, but what he did to show us his love while he's hanging there and talking to the people that are are crucifying him. So look at Luke 23 um, and verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide their garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And this passage goes on to show that one of the criminals you know, talks to him and says, you know, are you not the Christ? One of them says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And then the other one says, Jesus, remember me. And then he says, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Verse 43. So Jesus has compassion on the ones that are killing him and saying, Lord, forgive him. They don't even know what they're doing. And then he offers forgiveness to the criminal next to him. So we see God's love for us, not just in the fact that he died for us, but he is always compassionate and loving. The third thing that I want to, I'm going to just highlight, because there's so many things that we could talk about in the consistencies of Old Testament to New Testament, but the third thing that I want to talk about is that God does not change in his desire to see us walk in obedience. God does not change in his desire to, to see us walk in obedience. Turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10. After after Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways? to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord for which I'm commanding you today. And then on into chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in the season and the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and in your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. 
again and again we see throughout, especially Numbers and Deuteronomy, as they are wandering the wilderness, please obey. If you'll obey, it will go well for you. I have blessings and peace that I want to give you if you will just obey. And it is, it is the same, and you all can just even listen to John 14, since I know we've been, we've been going back and forth around. But in John 14, I'll just summarize that, that, that there, he's saying, would you just obey? Because it's going to go well for you. Not because I'm harsh, but because I'm loving. Whoever has, this is uh, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if we love him, then we obey him. God doesn't change. He doesn't change in his expectation and his desire for us to obey him. We, I could have mentioned a lot more things that, that I see, but those are just some general characteristics that he does not change in this pursuit of sinners. He doesn't change in his love for us. He doesn't change in his desire for us to obey him. Um, and now I'm going to open up a can of worms um, and shift to the second question, which is, does God change his mind? Um, that's something that I think we struggle with um, when we talk about God being immutable. Does God change his mind? So I read a lot about this week, and I've thought about it because this is a question that comes up. And it's interesting to see how, while we, we want God sometimes to be human, and so when we see things in Scripture, we sometimes attribute human characteristics, or the writers of God's Word, the writers of the Bible, attribute human characteristics to God that he does not, he is a spirit. So in other words, they say, we talk about God's hand. God does not have a hand because he's a spirit. Uh, we talk about God's anger, and we think of it in terms of human anger. We don't think of it in terms of righteous anger because he's perfect. And so at times in the Old Testament, when we see the phrase, God relented, or God changed his mind, what is going on there? We see that especially, like here's an, an example of that, is in Jonah 3.10, when God says he's going to destroy Nineveh. In, in Jonah 3.10, he said, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, so that sounds like God changed, right? He said he was going to do something, and then he's like, nope, changed my mind. We need to understand that God relents at times, meaning he changes his course of action based on man's change of heart. So God himself does not change. But God can and often does retract judgment based on human repentance or a change in behavior. Okay, do y'all, are y'all tracking with me? So God can and often does retract judgment that he has pronounced will happen based on the heart condition, the heart attitude in, in repentance. God is not fickle. He is consistent. And he is morally bound not to change his stance if man continues to travel on the evil path. Yet if man turns from his wicked ways, God in his graciousness exercises mercy in withholding judgment. I hope that that is a little bit helpful because we see it again. And sometimes when it's not stated, it's implied that there are so many conditions. If you do this, I will not do that. Because God's good, he's going to have to punish evil, right? Because he won't change in that. And he will also honor righteousness. God doesn't change. So when God sees repentance, he consistently forgives. When there is a refusal to repent, God consistently judges. He is unchanging in his nature, his plan, and in his being. 
But let me just say this. When people, if they, if they have a change of heart attitude, if they repent, that is not a work. Because you can default to saying, well, then this is works-based. That you have to appease God by doing a work. Belief and repentance is always an attitude of the heart. Of the heart. It's not a work. I just want to make sure that that's clear. So this should certainly affect the way we pray. So, you know, why do we pray? God mysteriously uses our prayer to, accomplishes, to accomplish his will and his purpose. It's mysterious how he desires to involve us in his plan and in his will. So we don't change God's mind, but prayer does change things, and it changes us, right? Because the more that we pray, the more we're submissive to God, he will change even the way that we're praying about something. If we're praying according to his will, he mysteriously allows us to be a part of his plan. R.C. Sproul said it this way. I thought it was so helpful. There are times in which God waits for us to ask for things because his plan is that we work with him in the glorious process of bringing his will to pass here on earth. Because his plan is that we work with him in the glorious process of bringing his will to pass on earth. So lastly, I just want to to throw out, so we've talked about the fact that we see God consistently in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that God doesn't change in the way, in the change his mind, like in the way that we change our mind from chocolate to vanilla ice cream. Um, And then lastly, what is the change that God wants to see in us? Because as I mentioned in your study, that that's his agenda, right? He doesn't change, but he desires to see change in us. So we talked last week about justification and that one-time declaration of, of righteousness, that we are declared righteous when we come to faith. The rest of our life is us living that out. That's sanctification, right? Our only hope for meaningful change is Jesus. We can't do this ourselves, can we? We have to work alongside him and his Holy Spirit with his word working in us to change. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to get out his flashlight and to go into all those places of our hearts where it needs to be changed. Change is painful. Sometimes when we we come to understand that God wants us to change about something, it doesn't feel good at all. But yet, if if we rest in him, in this good, righteous, perfect God, he brings about change that he wants to see, which is conforming us to the likeness of his son. Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be, what, conformed to the image of his son. And then Romans 12, 2, do not be, what, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants transformation for us, and that's a good thing. Yes, it's a hard thing sometimes, but it is a good thing. Change is painful at times. The only one that can change us, though, is an unchanging God. Think about that. If God changed all the time, we wouldn't even understand. We wouldn't know what what he wants for us. But he's unchanging, so we can rest in that. It's such a comfort that he does not change. He will never waver in his love for us. He will not change in his truth. He will not change in his promises. And he will never withhold his goodness because he never changes. When we understand he wants us to change, we can see it is from his grace. So does God change? No, he doesn't. Does he want change for us? Yes. So our prayer is to trust 
an unchanging God to bring about to completion the work he's, be- he's begun in us. And I had you look up those, those verses this week. And, and hopefully you can see that we are all a work in progress. And the more that we can submit to his plan and live life, lives of repentance and ask for more of his grace to live into the, the women he wants us to be, he loves that prayer. He wants to answer that prayer. When he sees a submissive heart towards him, he is, he is lifted up. He is exalted in our dependence. He is glorified in our total desperation. And so as we depend on him for the change that he wants to see in us, he will be faithful to do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we serve a God that does not change that you don't waver, that you're, you're not fickle, you're not moody, you're not needy, you don't need, even, you don't need us. But what a gift, Lord, that we get to, to come alongside you in, in, in as, as we we're learning just in our prayers, Lord, that you mysteriously work with us to bring about your will, Lord. And Father, with the questions that come up at times where we think, well, you do seem to change, or, or the ways that we're not clear on your scripture, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make it clear to us. We love you and we honor you and we thank you for all that you've done for us, especially in sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, Lord. We thank you that you pursue us even when we're in sin, that that your love never changes and that you desire us to walk in obedience. And I pray that that would be our prayer for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about our resources, please visit 101christianity.com. And for more encouragement, you can follow along on Instagram at Courtney underscore Garrett underscore. Let's press on as we seek to know the truth and share the truth.